title of my message is Why Russia Matters. Why Russia Matters. This is not just a war. We know that there's war in the Bible, that Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. But all this information can get confusing. I, even as a Bible student, my head spins with the details and what to do with this. And does this story on the news matter? Does this matter what Russia's doing? Or are we just kind of blowing it up into something? Now, my wife loves to do jigsaw puzzles. I don't. I get bored with them. But it is my job to buy her new jigsaw puzzles. Uh, it keeps her busy. It's cheaper than therapy. And so what's the first thing you do when you get a good jigsaw puzzle? You set up your table, I know. But before you lay all the pieces out, and then what do you do? You get the box cover out, and you're going to look at the, the picture on the box. What if you didn't have the cover of the box? What if it got destroyed? One of your grandkids or your kids threw it away. It would be the end of their life. But <laughs> <laughs> that picture makes sense of all the pieces, and oftentimes, we study the Bible without understanding the big picture. The big picture helps you to pick up one piece and kind of find its place in the picture. And without that picture, you will try and fit things together that don't go together. You make something out of things and... That's why I love Bible survey, the big picture of what's going on in the Bible. And that's what I'm going to do for you this morning. I'm not going to hyper-focus on Russia or Israel or just Bible prophecy or Matthew 24 and end times events. I want to take you up in a helicopter and say, Genesis to Revelation, here's the story. And it will help you make sense a little bit more of what's going on in the world. Now, the purpose of Bible prophecy generally is two things. The Bible is approximately one-third prophecy. I think that's correct. Last I looked at that. But if that's not right, a great, great portion of the Bible, the 66 books we have, are prophecy in the sense of predictive prophecy. Now, of course, there's the gift of prophecy, which is just God speaking a word to you through a human instrument. That's the gift of prophecy. But the, the purpose of predictive prophecy in the Bible is, number one, to prove which God is the true God. Because there are literally thousands, if not millions, of gods in the world. So the test is, or the question is, which one do I listen to? Which of these gods do I believe in? And especially at other times uh, when the world really was overrun with idols, and we would say paganism, they all believed in gods, many gods. And the way that the true God stood out is his ability to tell the future. 
other gods, although other gods, which are essentially demons impersonating gods, can do miracles, but they do not know the future. Only the true and living God knows the future. The second purpose of Bible prophecy is to give us, God's people, peace in troubled times. Because we trust, we know that God is working out things. He's not just working in a troubled world. The world is working out toward God's purposes. Say amen. And that right there gives us peace. Now, God forbid we would be in the middle of a war-torn country, but it could happen. We think it would never happen here, but it does happen. And I was just so blessed by even seeing Christians in, in the Ukraine, in the underground shelters, singing worship songs to the Lord. Did you see that? Awesome. Awesome. We have friends. I have a pastor friend. Um, my daughter went to school in Hungary some years ago. And I went on a missions trip to Yugoslavia when there was a Yugoslavia before the split into Serbia, Croatia. But we were there on a missions trip when it was still a communist country. And the police were always watching over us. A, a guy that was playing music with us, the police uh, re grabbed a hold of him, took him into a private room and detained him, questioning him. What are you doing here? Suspicious. He was a fearful afraid for his life. He finally, I don't even remember who was the president at the time. He told the guards, you better let me go because I am friends with the president. He, he lied. My Christian friend lied <laughs> on a missions trip to get away from these communist guards, uh, but it worked and they let him go. Well, we spent, um, I think 10 days, couple of weeks in Yugoslavia, Hungary, and as a result, we planted churches and then Bible colleges. And so the Lord has been working through Calvary Chapel and many other church groups to do a work there. It's amazing. Are you at Isaiah 45? Isaiah 45, I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create the earth in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place in the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, that would be Israel, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. You who have escaped the nations, they have no knowledge who carry the, the wood of their carved images. Now God is speaking about people who worshiped carved images. He's saying those image, images don't know anything. You have escaped the nations uh, and pray to a God that cannot save. Verse 21, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it to you from that time? Have not I the Lord? 
and there is no God besides me. A just God and a savior, there is none besides me. You hear what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah? You let these other people bring their gods and ask them something and see if these these idols of wood or stone can tell you anything. They have no knowledge. God, he just literally puts it to the test. Ask me and I'll tell you. And he's literally saying, actually, the things that you're seeing happen, I told you about from old times of old. And here we are in this snapshot of time, wondering how this fits. Where are we going? Is God in control? The true God created all things. The true God tells the end from the beginning. The true God gives peace in times of trouble. The disciples asked Jesus for the signs of his coming, Matthew 24. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, or deadly diseases, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. The beginnings of sorrows. I think I'm training you to take notes and I'm seeing pads and pens out. I'm going to give you seven words that will tell the history of the world. Are you ready? And I'm make, trying to make this as simple as possible. Genesis to Revelation. You can tell this story in seven words. The first word is creation. Genesis 1 and 2. As God said through Isaiah, God created all things and he created it for a purpose. That's the point we are remembering. God created the world for a purpose. And we might say, well, we see suffering and sickness around us. That was not God's purpose. And, and I, thought some, I thought, you know, many years ago, what if Adam and Eve had not sinned? what would have happened to the earth, the world? It would have accomplished at that time what God intended, which was to fill the earth with people who would know God and love him. To me, it's just that simple. God is love, First John says. He created man for relationship, just like we have children. He said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. And if they had not sinned, the earth would have just been filled with people who loved God. The first word is creation. The second word then, of course, is temptation. Genesis chapter 3, God offered and allowed the temptation because the very nature of God's relationship with man would be not forced, but a relationship of love. And love is chosen. 
It's, it's not any more complicated than that. Everything in the earth was Adam and Eve. See, they could have anything. God said, you can have anything except this one thing. This one thing. The purpose of it was a choice. I proposed to my wife. And now that I think of it, I was so awesome. She didn't really have a choice. Now, hopefully I had done my job of showing her um, how amazing I was and she chose me in return. And in fact, we have to do that every day. I still choose you. And I've mentioned a couple of times uh, next month is our 40th anniversary. So we're still choosing each other and and still saying I chose you, but I didn't know I was getting that. (laughs) (laughs) So. Keep this simple. God is love. God created man for a love relationship. God gave man a choice. A choice. Faith is based on love. Or we might say love is based on faith. I trust her to be faithful to me. She trusts me to be faithful to her. The third word in our seven words of world history is rebellion. Rebellion, because once sin came into the world, it started its work and sin is always progressive. It starts one place and it increases, increases, it takes over and it spreads. And that rebellion increased to two major events in the book of Genesis, chapter six at um Make sure I had that right. Chapter six at the flood and chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. Those two events were God intervening and stopping it or slowing it. What's significant about the Tower of Babel is that that was the official putting the flag in the sand by mankind Nimrod and saying, we will build a civilization without God. That was like the official, we are willfully going to build a civilization that excludes God. That is the Tower of Babel. To jump ahead while I'm thinking of it right now, with all this talk of globalism, we know that the world will come to a place of worldwide globalism at the Lord's return. The European Union uses as one of its symbols a painting of the Tower of Babel. And they have done it intentionally saying many languages, one tongue. It is a willful using of the symbols of a worldwide community without God. That is the European Union today. And I'm holding these coins. How many of you thought, why is Terry holding those coins? Come on, confess it. I found this many years ago. These are the Greek uh, European Union EU coins. It's fascinating to me that on the back of the two euro coin of Greece is an image of a woman riding a beast. You know that symbolism from the book of Revelation. This goes on and on. The EU has taken the symbols of the Bible 
for their globalism. There are more of these. And so the woman on the beast, the woman is, is uh, a Phoenician princess named Europa, who was tricked into getting on the back of a, of a god and taken to Europe. And Europe gets its name from the woman of, from Phoenicia who rode the beast. I'm giving you more information than you want to know. But this is fascinating how this all works together. Rebellion. Sin progresses. Let us build a civilization without God. The fourth word is now significant in what's happening. Formation. Genesis 12 is the beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel. It really begins with Abraham. And notice that it started right after the Tower of Babel. Immediately after this statement of the nations, the families of the world saying to God, we don't need you. An official rejection of God. God then now goes, I will form a nation, Israel. And he speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, listen to those words of God saying, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Immediately following the declaration of the families of the earth saying, God, leave us alone. So the question is, what does God do when the world rejects him? And I've heard people say, well, if God is love, why did he only love Israel? That's what people think. No, that's not the right question. The question is, what is God supposed to do when the world says, get lost? That's what happened. God didn't exclude the world. The world excluded God. And because God is faithful and God is love, he then established one nation, not to be the sole recipient of his blessings and love, but to be, here's Israel's purpose, to be an example to the world. Representatives of God to the very people who have rejected God. That's Israel's purpose. Now, you might look at Israel and say, but they're not godly people. They don't have things right. Exactly. It's an example of the faithfulness of God, even to stubborn, difficult, will, you know, uh, willful people who aren't cooperating with God. That sounds like us, really. The formation of one nation under God really is Israel. The very name Israel means ruled by God. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, write that down. God says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So God says to Israel, 
you are my witnesses that besides me, there is no other savior. So the world is to watch Israel to see the character, the love of God, even when they are stubborn and difficult. How God blesses a nation that doesn't love him in return. Uh, You know, more than anything, that shows you the extent of the love and the faithfulness of God when they don't deserve it. How many times have you thought, you know, you did something good and you deserved God to bless you? You misunderstood the grace of God. How about all the times when your heart was away from God and yet God blessed you anyway? Maybe in ways that you didn't even know the extra blessing came from God. That's who God is. And shifting now into the wars and rumors of wars, when we hear about wars and all of this in the world, we're not just looking for wars. Specifically in the Bible, it's wars related to God's people, Israel. And nations that go against Israel. Those are the ones we are watching. Not just any war. Of course, we're watching for wars and upsets and how nations are shifting and the rise and fall of nations. But what we want to say is, how does this current war fit in or does it fit in with what's happening in the Bible? The fifth word you're to write down is the word correction. And because of Israel's rebellion, they did not fulfill their purpose. So Ezekiel 36 through 39, that's your homework this week. We'll have a quiz on it next week. Ezekiel 36 through 39, you can read that and see Ezekiel talking about how God would bring discipline or correction against Israel for failing to do their job. The scattering of God's people, Israel, their very purpose was to represent God to the world. And for failing to do that, God scattered them. But God promised to restore Israel in the latter times, which is our time, as a sign to the world to get ready for the Lord's coming. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your land. Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from the nations and bring you back to your land. Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place in you. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord have spoken it and performed it says the Lord. Now it's really getting there. So Ezekiel speaks of it in the old Testament and in world history. Remember this. There has never been a case where a people of a nation have been scattered 
and literally hundreds of years later, come back together, retaining their language, their culture, their religion. And it happened to the nation of Israel in 1948. They were scattered in 70 AD. So almost 1900 years later, they come back together as a nation. What provoked that and the sympathy of of the world to give them their land back? Well, it was World War II and the Holocaust. That's what it took. I was watching the news at five this morning. Woke up at four and I had the news on. And some of the stories are fascinating. Passing little stories with all this war. One was planes taking Jews from Ukraine back to Israel. Right now. There's also 60,000 ex-American military over in Ukraine fighting. 60,000. They have joined up with what they call the Ukraine Foreign, um, what's it? Foreign Legion, the Ukraine Foreign Legion, like you've heard the French Foreign Legion. There are Americans there fighting. God demonstrated his faithfulness when Israel reformed as a nation in 1948. That's why the church is so excited about Bible prophecy again. Because this has never happened. This is like the major sign. Ezekiel 38. I do have this up for you. Verses 1 through 5. Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma from the north, the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. Now, I'm only going to focus on two of those nations that relate to what's happening in the world. Gog is the ruler of a land called Magog. Gog is the ruler, Magog is the country, but he rules over Magog, Meshech, and Tubal. That is significant because it's pretty well known by now that Meshech or or, or Magog is, do you know? Russia. The Magogites, and they know it in Russia. It's in their own museums in Moscow. What would be Meshech? It's the old name for Moscow. Magog, Meshach, Tubal is Russia, Moscow, and Tobol. That's why this matters. Now, Russia has been an irritation for a long time. 
but they, it comes and goes, comes and goes, and we forget about the importance of Russia in the Bible. So every time they cause trouble, we don't want to say, oh, it's the end of the world. But it might be. And we have to be watching. And in this passage in Ezekiel 38, here's the key thing. That country, Magog, Russia, forms alliances with other nations, primarily Persia, for the very purpose of not making war, but to wipe out Israel. That's the significance in the Bible. Russia forms an alliance with Persia. You know who Persia is? Iran. While everyone is looking at Ukraine, did you know that Russia has troops in Syria working in alliance with Iran to to do things against Israel? It's happening right now. They have increased troops and warplanes and ships in the Middle East. So whether this all blows up in in Europe and then goes away, we don't know. The question we're asking and what everybody's asking on the news is, yes, but what is next for Russia after Ukraine? That's the question. That's the question. The other mention of Magog in the Bible, one is before the coming of Christ, which many of us Bible teachers believe we are alive in the days before the coming of Christ. Because of Israel reforming as a nation, because of the European forming as a confederacy, and even using the symbols of Babylon and Revelation as their symbols. Globalism is coming up. It's, it's hard to ignore the fact that we live in a global society now. This whole thing with COVID and the vaccines and vaccine passports, it, all of a sudden it changed overnight, didn't it? Okay, that's how this is happening. Nations are now thinking alike rather than as individual nations. This is the shift toward globalism. So Magog rises up, Russia, before the coming of Christ. Then in the events is the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, which is seven years of judgment in the book of Revelation. At the end of the seven years, Christ returns, establishes his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. That's why it's called the millennial kingdom of Christ. And it's at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth that Magog rises up again. And the Lord completely at that time wipes out the Magogites. The next word is the word salvation. Watching my time. My worship team is going to come up. Salvation. Christ died on the, on the cross to ultimately fulfill his plan for the earth. Colossians 3.11 says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The Greek word for Magog is Scythian. 
right there, Paul says, even the Magogites, even the Russians will be saved. And we so easily vilify this nation and this nation, while really at the same time, those people of Russia are watching what's happening. And many of them are saying, we didn't sign up for this. And we pray that they turn to the Lord. The last word, restoration. Restoration. And that is the book of Revelation. But also foreshadowed in Daniel, in Zechariah. That book of the Bible that may be scary for you to read or confusing. I don't understand all the symbolism. Revelation is essentially God fulfilling his plan for the earth. All of the judgment in a very simple way of looking at it is God evicting the tenants of the earth that have rejected him. If you've ever owned rental property and had tenants in there that won't get out, eventually you have to take strong measures to get them out. Did you know that the land of the earth belongs to the Lord? Did you know he paid for it? He paid for it on the cross. And in the same way that land would be paid for and a title deed would be drawn up, That is the scroll that John writes about in the book of Revelation. He says, I looked and there was no one found worthy to take the scroll and loose its seals. The very symbolism of a scroll and seals and someone worthy to take that scroll. The worthy one is the one who has the worth or the one who paid the price the kinsman redeemer that we would find in the book of Ruth. All of this is Jewish terminology. So Jesus has paid for the land. We, the church, we are the treasure hidden in the field, which the man paid for to buy the field to get the treasure out of the field. And so we're here, but we don't need to be in a panic because the Lord has paid the price. He's following his plan. And all this is happening over there. We're saying, Lord, is this it? We don't want to jump the gun and say, oh, the Lord's coming, but maybe. Definitely, we need to be ready. The Lord is in charge.